You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Uh, just continue on. We're in the middle of a summer series we've kind of been doing just on looking at basic Christian doctrine, kind of looking at concepts, words that maybe are very familiar to, you know, pastors or people who are, you know, maybe study theology and stuff, but maybe your words or concepts, phrases, ideas that maybe we talk about a lot here that maybe people hear a word or a phrase and they're kind of like, I'm not sure what that means. And so we've kind of just been stepping back and looking at just again, some of the basic Christian doctrine, things we believe um, that are vital to a healthy church, vital to uh, lives as uh, believers. And so we've really been kind of looking at some of the more common, the universal uh, doctrines of the church, what they mean, why they're important to the church, why are they important to our Christian faith, and perhaps really more importantly, um, how to really apply them. I mean, how to really take these concepts, these ideas, and kind of begin to walk them out and begin to kind of apply them in our relationship with God, our relationships with one another. And because you can have all the right theology, I mean, you can, you can understand all there is to know about basic Christian doctrine inside and out, but if you don't know how to take that information and begin to apply it uh, in your walk, your relationship with God and with others, it's really not going to produce a whole lot of results. Uh, you can talk about peace. I mean, that's a word we hear a lot about right now in our society is peace, peace. I mean, you can talk about peace all you want. But until we start walking it out, until we start applying it in our lives, applying it to the the situations that are unfolding and happening around us, it won't accomplish much, if anything. I would suggest to you, as we see our world kind of becoming more and more unhinged, the answers, the solutions, all of us are looking for that we earnestly are are seeking, they're not going to be found in a politician. I mean, the Republicans had their week. The Democrats are starting their week. If you're looking to either one of those as the answer, if you think it's going to be found in a politician or you think it's going to be found in a political party, it's not. The peace the world really yearns for, seeks, longs for, is really only found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. However, I believe the New Testament church is positioned and really has the opportunity right now, we can rise up in a very powerful way and just really begin to kind of live lives of peace, of of reconciliation, harmony. I mean, listening, just listening to what people are saying. I mean, seeking to understand why do people feel the way they feel. So seeking to understand as well as to be understood. Honoring, dignifying one another. Seeing people as people who are made in the image and the likeness of God. And regardless of color or nationality or sexual orientation, that we would see people as image bearers of God, that we would have this gift, this ability to kind of see beyond the person, to see beyond the issues, and, and to be able to see the heart of the person as God sees. 
Now again, this isn't just a pipe dream. I believe it is a reality. Even in the hostile environment we find ourselves in right now. And the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus founded, it is the only entity, folks, upon the face of the earth that is positioned to accomplish this. And I believe it is through the indwelling, the power of the Holy Spirit working, active in the life of believers that makes this reality possible. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, the benefits of really being filled with the Holy Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, we kind of started talking. We've been talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we've kind of broke those down, and we've talked about God the Father, you know, who is Jesus. And we, a couple of weeks ago, talked about who is the Holy Spirit. You remember I said, he is a person, not an it, not a force, not a power. He has power. He endues us with power, but he is more than power. He is a person. He is one of three persons along with God the Father and God the Son, and the three of them come together comprise what we call the Trinity. They are all three equally God. They are united perfectly in thought, purpose, and plan. They coexist in this beautiful fellowship of all of the purest, the holiest virtues we know of. Virtues like love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, righteousness. Um, and again, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take what is being experienced in that fellowship. The Holy Spirit wants to take those virtues and he wants to begin to infuse and to influence those inside of us through the power, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he is there to kind of transmit all of those virtues that are existing there between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is there just to infuse that into our lives. So as you look at places like, you know, Galatians 5.25, where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and he lists those there. And again, those are just a few of the, and I believe there's an infinite amount of virtues that are being shared in that fellowship. But Paul lists a few of those virtues that are being experienced there in that fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, this is the role of the Holy Spirit, is to take all of that and just begin to infuse that into our lives as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, to live in and through us. Last week, Pastor Mark preached on peace. You may remember that one of the scriptures he kind of referred to there was Jesus speaking there in John 14, 27. And there he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now again, given everything that's happening around the world and particularly maybe even here in the United States, again, as you kind of look at the headlines and you kind of just witness all of the chaos that, that's just unfolding around us, I mean, it, it would be very easy to have a troubled and a fearful heart now, right? But if you look just one verse ahead, this is what I love. If, if you look just one verse, just kind of jump up one verse there from John um, uh, 14, 27. Verse 26, again, 
Jesus gives us the context. He says, here's how this peace is going to be given to you. And he says there in verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's verse 26. And then verse 27 is the one where Jesus says, the one on peace, he says, it's going to flow forth from the Holy Spirit, that helper who the Father is going to give to you. Peace is a gift. It's one of the workings, one of the many workings, the Holy Spirit that God the Father wants to instill within the life of every believer. You cannot, you will not have the peace Jesus wants you to have, the peace that Jesus operated in as he walked and ministered upon the earth. You will not have that apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. Now again, you know, you know what peace to the world is? You know, you know what peace to the unbeliever is? I'll tell you what peace is to them. Peace to an unbeliever is the absence of war, no war anywhere in the world, no riots of any kind anywhere, no racism of any kind anywhere, no racial discord, no strife, no protest. I can go on and list all of it. And to an unbeliever, they say when all the things that are kind of causing chaos and discord, when all of those things are gone, we will have peace. Jesus said, that's not the kind of peace that I came, that's the kind of peace the world is looking and longing for. The absence of wars and all of that stuff. Whereas peace to a believer, you know what peace to a believer, a spirit-filled believer is? It is even while all of those things are happening around us, I still have peace in the midst of it. it, it, it it's, not, it's not that our peace is contingent upon the absence of any or all of those things. As believers, again, we long for there to be no wars. I don't, I don't want riots. I don't like racism. I don't like racial discord. I don't like strife. I don't like discord. I don't like any of the things that, that cause unpeace in our world. But again, the peace that Jesus gives, it's not dependent on any of that. As spirit-filled believers, again, we want to strive. We want to work as hard as we can toward eliminating all of that and more. But even when all of those things are kind of raging and happening around us, we can still have peace. Jesus said, you can still have peace peace. He said, it is a peace the world will not understand. They'll look at you and see everything that's happening around you, and, and they'll just be stumped. How can you have peace in the midst of all of this? It's because our peace isn't, isn't, isn't dependent on environments. It is dependent on a person, the Holy Spirit, who never changes, who comes to infuse and to indwell our life, our inner being with the power, the person, and the presence of God. That's how we can have peace in all of that. You want to know how you're going to solve the racial discord that we're seeing unfolding in this country? It's when God's people are walking, operating in as much of God's fullness that's been made available to us through the power, the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it's going to happen it's when I, 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 can't, I can't speak for you. I can't act on your behalf. 
But as far as it depends upon me, I am committed. I am seeking after. I'm yearning to walk in all of the fullness that God has for me. And when we all commit together to make that our goal, our vision for our lives, I believe we will see a lot of this stuff solved. So here's what Paul says regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. And he kind of talks about this in Ephesians 5. There's many other places where he talks about that. But this morning, I want to kind of just focus on a few verses of what Paul gives us there in Ephesians 5. He says this, so don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me just ask you this. How many of you have ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? What, is, what does God expect of me? What does God want of me? I mean, why am I here? What is my purpose in living? And that's kind of what Paul's addressing here. He's saying, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And so if, you, if you've ever asked that question, what is God's will for my life? Paul's going to reveal a little bit of that in the next verse. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Again, he, that, that is a lessening, that is a loss of the fullness of life that God came to give you. He said, when, when you're drunk with wine, you're, you're not living life to the fullest. You're depleting life. He says, but, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. All of that is part of the will of God for your life. See, we're so often kind of looking for the deeper and the bigger and the more intricate and the mysterious, you know. I mean, I mean we, we just think this has got to be really complex. God's will, wow, that's a big question. Paul says, not, not really. So Paul says, okay, let me, let me just kind of give you a, a few things here and start working on this. And, and once you kind of get this down, once you get this mastered, we'll kind of move on to the, the, the deeper things. So often, that's what we're looking for. We, we, want, we want the deeper, we want the bigger you know, picture, bigger question, and oftentimes we kind of just ignore the simple stuff that Paul's telling us to do here. So this morning, I just want to share with you kind of a couple of benefits that I believe are ours when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, having the Holy Spirit kind of living and influencing and infusing and guiding your life based upon Ephesians 5. First of all, the Spirit-filled life, it is a commanded life. In other words, if you're a believer, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is not optional. Okay, Paul starts off in verse 18, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, which he said again, it's dissipation, it's a loss of life. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now again, that verb translated there, that phrase, be filled, in the Greek language, it is in the imperative mood. And so anytime you find a Greek word in, in the New Testament in the imperative mood, what it is telling you is it's saying to you, this is not a suggestion. This is not a, you know, option. If you'd like to, you know, if it's okay with you, don't be drunk with wine, you know, but maybe you might kind of want to think about, may I just suggest being filled with, no, 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 that, that's not the imperative mood. The imperative mood implies this is not optional. This is commanded by the living God. 
This is not an add-on. It is not an upgrade to the uh, you know, Christian life. It is indispensable to the Christian life. If you've ever bought a car from a new dealer before, you, you, know, you kind of look at the sticker and they kind of list all of the standard you know, things that they provide on the car, you know, a horn and a turn signal and, you know, cruise control and, you know, they've kind of got all of these things that are just part of the standard package. You buy the car for this price and this is what's included. And then off to the side, they'll kind of have the add-ons, the upgrades, the additions, which always kind of come at, you know, more cost, you know, whether it's, you know, I don't know what those are now, but, uh, you know, heated seats, maybe those are, uh, you know, part of that sunroof, you know, um, undercoating, clear coat, you know, serious radio. I don't, you know, I don't know what all of those are, but they, they have kind of that side of the, you know, advertisement that here are some additional things you can add to the car. And so, so many people approach the Holy Spirit kind of like that. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and, and you know, kind of the Holy Spirit thing, it kind of just, you know, I don't understand it, kind of freaks me out, makes me nervous, and so I, I think I'll just kind of just stay with the Christian life, and I'll just kind of, you know, keep the Holy Spirit off there to the side. Paul's making it very, very clear here in Ephesians. He says, the spirit-filled life for a believer, he says, it's not optional. It is commanded. It'd be like buying a brand new car without the engine. It may look great, be fully loaded, but you're not going anywhere. You can be born again, looking good, feeling good, but again, folks, until you are spirit-filled, you're not going anywhere spiritually and you will accomplish nothing of significance for the kingdom of God. To try and live the Christian life apart from the ongoing, continuous filling of the Holy Spirit, you will just simply end up living life in a perpetual state of frustration, failure, and ultimately sin. That's why Paul commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's making the case here that it is the will of God. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Paul's saying here it is. Number one, first one out of the box, be filled with the Spirit. That's why Paul immediately preceded this verse, saying in verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is for every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, furthermore, this phrase, be filled, it is plural in number. Now, in other words, every Christian, every believer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the pastor, not just the worship pastor, not just the people that are teaching our kids right now. Paul's saying every believer needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This verb, be filled, it's also kind of in the present tense. In the Greek language, that kind of denotes continuous action. This is not just a one-time event. We are to be continuously, every day, every moment, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? We leak. We get filled with the Holy Spirit, and we kind of just begin, as we're living the life of God, as, as God is kind of just spilling out, as, as God is just overflowing into our lives, into other people's lives, that, that we, we can kind of start to become empty. We can kind of begin to deplete that. 
And when we get to that point where we're kind of exhausted or frustrated or the life of God is not flowing the way it did, we just simply say, God, I need to be refilled. I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit again. And God just comes and just fills us to overflowing. So it is a continuous, ongoing, every day, every moment opportunity. I found it fascinating that Paul kind of contrasts this, being drunk with wine with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, how many of you believe that it's wrong to be drunk, I'm guessing most, if not all of you, would kind of raise your hands. Now, if this verse means what it says, to me it says, it's just a sinful for a Christian not to be filled with the Holy Spirit as it is for the Christian to be drunk. The problem is, what we've done is we've accentuated the negative. And, and we harp on that. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. All we want to do is we want to just accentuate the negative, and we want to downplay the positive. We've made the main focus and application of the verse not to be drunk with wine, rather than you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that it's even really physically, more physically healthy to be filled with the Holy Spirit as opposed to being drunk? Do you realize one quarter of all automobile insurance premiums go toward drunk driving claims? It's true. Do you realize if people were filled with the Holy Spirit rather than drunk with wine, it would save approximately 25,000 lives a year and save approximately $16 billion in insurance claims. So it's really better for us individually, collectively as a society to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the phrase be filled, uh, again, it's kind of a nautical term that, that Paul's using here. And he's kind of creating this image that, that to be filled is kind of like the wind that kind of just comes and blows and begins to, to fill the sails of a ship. And it just kind of carries that ship along in the water. That's the image that Paul's trying to create there with that phrase. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's really to allow the life of your ship kind of just to come alive and, and to be guided and to, to, to be kind of led by the Holy Spirit of God. And just as the wind kind of guides the sail, that guides the ship, so every thought we think, every word we say, every deed we do, all of that should be infused and directed and guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Bible speaks, of again, of being filled with the Spirit, it's not so much as creating an imagery that, that would say, you know, I, I want you to kind of think of this as a glass that is filled, you know, by a liquid, but rather think of it as a house that is completely occupied by a divine person. That's the reality. God living his life in us and through us by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first benefit. It's a commanded life. Second benefit of a being filled with the Spirit is it will result in a committed life. Now, basically, when you kind of talk about it, you think about, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, generally Christians kind of ask two questions, what and how. That is, what is the Spirit-filled life, and how do I get filled with the Spirit? 
Well, I believe there is another important question that really comes after question number one and before question number three, and that is the question, why? Every Christian should want to be filled with the Spirit and should know what the Holy Spirit-filled life is, what it looks like, how it operates, but we also need to stop and ask ourselves, why? Do I need, why do I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me ask the question this way. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can use God or so God can use you? That's really kind of what it comes down to. There are a lot of people who talk about the filling of the Spirit, but what they're really interested in is the feeling of the Spirit. I want a buzz from the Holy Spirit. They are after what some call the thrill of the fill. I want to remind you to be filled with the Spirit. Again, it is to have every aspect of your life controlled and guided by the Spirit. Again, just get this vision for your life this morning to be filled with as much of the fullness of God as is possible. And not just on Sunday mornings. You all do a great job of that. But it's once we get outside of these walls, what does that look like to walk and to live the Spirit-filled life? Our Christian walk, again, it is to be fully influenced, to be controlled, to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. Paul begins this entire section in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and he, he kind of says this. He says that we are to have a walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. Paul says in Galatians 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He then goes on to say in verse 16 that if we walk in the Spirit, he says, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Every one of us in this room, we battle with lust of the flesh. And the remedy to the lust of the flesh is to be walking in the Spirit. Paul says if you're doing that, if you're walking, if the Holy Spirit's leading, guiding, infusing, influencing your life, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So obviously, if we are fulfilling the lust of the flesh, it's because we are not walking and living um, by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mark preached about that kind of several weeks ago. Furthermore, I would say our sense or our understanding of truth, it, it, it really is influenced and guided by being filled with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, that word helper in the Greek is the word parakletos. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the Holy Spirit. That parakletos is someone who kind of just comes alongside of us. And he says, I will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. As I was reading that this week, that word forever just caught my attention, and it was just a reaffirmation. It's not just for this life, folks. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just for this walk. It's for this life, this walk, for the life and the walk that is to come. It's forever. He says that is the spirit of truth. Now, Jesus oftentimes would refer to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. A few chapters later, Jesus says in John 16, 13, he says, but when he, again, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, and he says, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Man, that just, that just captures my attention. The Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, 
coexistent with the Father and the Son, guiding every believer into all truth. That's a vision that is very captivating for me. The Holy Spirit guiding, leading, directing every believer into all truth. The truth that all lives matter. Not just black lives, not just cop lives, not just crackers lives. All lives matter. Because all of mankind has been created and made in the image and likeness of God. And to diminish or to dishonor any life, regardless of color, nationality, sexual orientation, to diminish, to dishonor any life is to diminish and to dishonor our creator, God. Did you hear what Marcus Luttrell said this week? He said, in order for any life to matter. Every life must matter. That is true. The truth the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into, all lives matter. Both the lives of the born and the unborn. And that choice, it's more than just about your rights, your body, but it is also about the rights, the life that now lives inside of you that you had a choice in creating. The truth that racism has left an ugly scar upon this nation. And we need all races to be committed to working through and toward reconciliation, forgiveness, and understanding and to realize that is the only sensible way forward. The truth. God created marriage. And God's design was that it would be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and when he brought them together, and there was sexual union between Adam and Eve, the Bible says they became one flesh. Beloved, two men, two women can never be one flesh. God never designed, he never created marriage for that purpose. The truth, that God created them male and female. Now that doesn't mean that God created us as a mixture of male and female. He says God created us male or female. And if you've got some kind of gender confusion, gender disorder, the cure for that is not God doesn't call us to go out and to build you a separate bathroom or a separate locker room so you can continue to live out of your gender dysfunction, your gender disorder. God created men to be men and women to be women. And when there is confusion, when there is disorientation over that, it is not to try to find ways to accommodate that. The truth is, we need to repent of that. And we need to embrace our sexuality 
And we need to allow God to heal whatever has broken within us that's causing this confusion and this disorientation. It's not for men to start using the women's bathroom if they feel like they identify more as a woman than a man. It's not for a woman to be able to go into a men's locker room because they happen to kind of, you know, think that they're more of a man that day than a woman. That that is not the answer. It is that we would turn in our brokenness and ask God to begin to heal our hearts, to begin to heal our inner spirit that's creating the sin that comes forth in that gender confusion and disorder. The truth. Governments cause more problems than they can ever solve. And there was a day and an age in this country where the church had a major and a vital role at one time in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, caring for the widow, visiting the imprisoned. And the church, we need to reinsert ourselves back into this place, the position of ministry. The Holy Spirit's role is he wants to take us and he wants to begin to reveal all truth to us. Every one of us in this room, we are a mixture of perceived truth, what we believe truth is or should be, and what truth actually is. The role of the Holy Spirit is to begin to confront us with those perceived truths, those things that we think are true or should be true, that are not true. They're lies, they're deceptions of the enemy. The Holy Spirit's role is to begin to turn us away from those perceived truths to God's absolute truth as revealed through the word, through his son, Jesus Christ. We are not here to lead the Holy Spirit into all truth. You talk to some people, that's what they think their job is. Their job's here to educate God or to lead the Holy Spirit into truth. That's not what Jesus said. He said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Now that tells me that there are some aspects of my life where I'm not lined up with his truth. And the Holy Spirit's job is to highlight those areas in my life and in your life where we've bought into a lie or a a perverted version of what we think is truth and the Holy Spirit's job is to turn us from that, to, to repent of that and to begin to turn to the absolute truth that is found in God. That is the role, the job of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why, I think that's why a lot of Christians don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because they value their truth more than the truth of God. Furthermore, our evangelism, our Christian witness is to be Holy Spirit infused and influenced. I don't believe you can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you can witness effectively, you don't have to take a course on evangelism, you don't have to memorize a bunch of Bible verses, you don't have to be a gifted speaker to do any of that, you don't have to have the outgoing personality but you cannot be an effective witness for Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, your witness, it'll just be ineffective. It'll be you and your power, your strength, trying to draw as many people to Jesus as you can rather than allowing the Holy Spirit, active living through you, to draw people to Jesus. You cannot help but be a winsome and effective witness for Christ when you are filled to as much fullness as possible of the Spirit of God. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus told the disciples, he says, Terry, wait here 
in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or infused with power from on high. Isn't it interesting? Jesus, before he sent the saint into the world, he sent the spirit into the saint. That must always be true of us if our witness is gonna be effective, if it's gonna be biblically productive and spiritually effective. Everything we say, everything we do, it is, it is intended to be infused and influenced by the Holy Spirit. God does not want us to do his work for him. He wants to do his work through us. That is the purpose of God sending the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer. I like to think of the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit as someone like uh, um, um, can be compared to a glove. Until a hand actually comes inside of that glove. A glove is powerless. It is useless. The glove is designed to do the work, but it can do no work by itself. It can only work when a hand gets inside of it, controls it, and uses it. The only work the glove has to do is the work the hand wants it to do. Likewise, the glove, it does not ask the hand to give it an assignment and then try to complete the assignment on its own without the hand. The glove doesn't gloat or brag about what it does after it's finished because it knows the hand deserves all of the credit. And in the same way, no Christian can accomplish anything without the filling of the Holy Spirit no more than a glove can accomplish anything without being filled with the hand. That is why we must be filled with the Holy Spirit in a committed lifestyle. Another benefit with the Holy Spirit is it leads to a commended life. Have you ever noticed there's just something magnetic? There's something very attractive and winsome about a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. When a Christian has the filling of the Spirit, the Bible says they will bear the fruit of the Spirit, and it says their life will kind of become like this beautiful aroma, this, this beautiful fragrance. It, it'll be like, you know, walking into a field full of flowers, and you're kind of just overwhelmed by the fragrance of all of that. Paul said that should be the life of a believer. You'll notice in Ephesians 5.19, Paul says there should be a gladness about those of us who are Spirit-filled, he said, there, there should be a speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Does it not surprise you? The first mark of the spirit-filled life, it's not mountain-moving faith. It's not tithing. It's not speaking in tongues or even dynamic speaking ability. Paul says it's really a heart that sings. In other words, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul said there should just be a melody in your heart. So the question is not the ability to sing, but the desire to sing. I love what Psalm 100 says. It says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with madness. Is that what it says? No. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Notice it says, joyful singing, not skillful singing. Come and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You may be like the man I heard about one time who was standing on the street corner, and he's singing, and he's singing to people, and as they're passing by, he had out this can, and he was hoping people would just drop money into it. 
Well, one man walked by and he stopped and he listened to him for a couple of minutes, walked up into him and he said, I want you to sing at my funeral. I'm a very wealthy man, I'm not gonna live much longer and I'm willing to pay you $500 if you'll come and sing at my funeral. The man replied and said, sir, I'm like honored and yes, I would love to come and to to sing at your funeral, but can I just ask you, why? Why do you want me? And the man said, because I want everyone to be genuinely sorry I'm dead. You'll get it later. So again, you may not sing very well, but it will be well when you sing. Because again, you're making melody. When you're making that joyful noise unto the Lord, you're making melody in your heart to the Lord. The phrase in the Greek language, it literally says to strum your heart like a musical instrument. That's when we're making melody. It's just like we're we're playing the guitar with our hearts to the Lord. You see, we listen to the voice, but God is the one who listens to the heart, and he wants every heart singing praises to him and making melody. In addition to gladness, there should also be a gratefulness about those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize a spirit-filled life is a thankful life? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will literally be able to give thanks in every circumstance, every environment, good, bad, negative, positive. The only way you can be thankful to God in difficult circumstances, trying circumstances, is you gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit. I heard of a pastor who had been facing just these repeated withering attacks from a very negative and critical woman. Every time he saw this woman, she would just come up to him and she would just begin to give him a tongue lashing about everything that he had done wrong or everything that she didn't like about him or didn't like about the church. And this woman was just making his life miserable, his job practically unbearable. And so he called his dad, who was also a pastor, and he kind of began to explain the situation for his dad. And he said, Dad, I just, I need some advice on how to handle this very critical woman. And his dad's remedy to the problem was very simple. He said, son, the next time this lady comes up and starts criticizing you, making you miserable, he said, I want you just to ask her, can can we just get down on our our knees right here and and can we just begin to pray? And he says, "You, you just kneel with her and you pray with her. And he said, when she does, you simply just say this prayer. You say, dear God, I want to thank you. This lady is not my wife. So there needs to be a gratefulness about us as spirit-filled believers. And lastly, there needs to be a graciousness about the spirit-filled believer. I love that phrase Paul uses in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another in the fear or in the awe of God. That word submit, again, it is a military term. And it refers to one equal submitting to another equal. So it's all of us seeing one another as as equals. Not any one of us above or better than another. What we're simply told is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're submitting to one another in the fear of God, it's that we will always see other people as important or more important than ourselves. 
And as much as we can do all that we can do to help meet their needs rather than our own. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once made this observation, and he said this, if there were only one prayer that I might pray before I died, it would be this, Lord, send your church men and women filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is what we need today. Spirit-filled churches, spirit-filled Christians, I believe are the only hope for the America. They are the only hope for the world. Beginning with you and ending with me, may every Christian, every believer, may we long for, may we desire to be filled to all the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And all it takes to be filled with the Holy Spirit is first, you've got to be born again. Okay, that's the first step to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be born again. You've got to be saved. And that simply means asking God to forgive you of your sins. And because of what Jesus did upon the cross and the shedding of his blood, we have the guarantee, we have the assurance that he will. It is inviting Jesus into your heart. It's just saying, you know, where it says in Revelation, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that door really is the door of your heart. And he says, anyone that opens up, I will come in. I will dine with him, Jesus is basically. I'll come in. I'll make myself at home in you and you in me. That's what born again is. Just inviting Jesus into your heart, into your life, asking him to be Lord and Savior over every area of your life. And then once you're born again, Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 13, he said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's that simple. Once we're born again, all we got to do is just say, Father, will you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And he will come and fill us. Again, it's important to remember, it's not a one-time filling. It's something we need to ask for on a daily basis, continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit Every day, every moment, every situation, prepared for every good work that he has prepared us to do. Amen. Did you do the, did you do the hand thing with them? Okay, awesome. Let's stand. That was a command. It was in the imperative mood. As Jason kind of did that um, this morning with you, as he just kind of invited you this morning just to kind of put your hands out, because again, it just really, it, it, it really symbolizes kind of, a, of an inward, a spiritual um, desire or, or just an openness. Um, and as Jason kind of just talked about God just pouring that liquid gold uh, into your hands, I believe that that is the Holy Spirit, that, that God is wanting to pour into not just our, our hands, but, but our, our lives, into our inner being this morning. And so as Jason kind of just had you guys kind of just hold your hand out this morning. Um, if you feel comfortable, if you'd like to do that, you can just join me. Uh, and I'm just holding my hand out. And simply what I'm asking, and that holding my hand out is just, God, there, there's an openness here for me. There's a, there's a desire in me, Father, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. So, God, I'm asking, Lord, for you just to come this morning and just to fill and, and to infuse my life, my inner being, with your power, your presence, your person, that I'm inviting you, God, to come and to live inside of me, 
That, God, you would be living out your plans, your purposes for my life. Not me doing it, but, God, you doing it in and through me. And so, God, I'm just inviting you. I'm asking you to come. And, God, just to begin to pour out your Holy Spirit. And, Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. And that you long to give to your children good gifts. And, Father, one of the gifts, the best gift that you have to give to us this morning and every day, every moment, again, is the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would just come and just pour into us your Holy Spirit. And God, pour it out in such a way that it not only fills me, God, but it begins to overflow in me. That, God, it just begins to flow out and to spill into other people's lives. That, God, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're just, we're leaking the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. That we would become that river of life. That we would become that aroma, that fragrance of life to others. So, Father, we just thank you again for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that it is the only way, it is the only hope for America, it is the only hope for our world. And this morning, God, we hunger, we desire, God, to be filled with as much of the fullness of you that we can contain this morning. And we thank you for that. Because we ask, and God, you're so willing to give. We receive that this morning, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That is just, again, something that as your feet hit the floor in the morning, just maybe remember that. God, start of a new day, I need to be filled with your spirit. Start of a new week, God, I need to be filled with your spirit. And God will fill you, and it will make a tremendous difference in the way you're living, and the things that are happening around you and your family and your workplace, your neighborhood, everywhere you go, you're just going to begin to see the effects of that Holy Spirit living in and through you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.